This morning, I'm beginning a series of messages called Crash Test Dummies. Where'd that idea come from? Well, the idea is that um, I know that you're like me. Sometimes you feel like you keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, I do that. It's kind of like I strap myself in, you know, I put my seatbelt on, and then I run straight into a brick wall. I get out and go, wow, that was really bad. That was a bad thing. I'm all beat up, I'm bruised up. And then I dust myself off, and then I look at the car, and I get back in and strap myself in and run right into the same wall again. If I look back in my life and I think about some of the biggest mistakes I've made, I realize I've made them not just once. I've made them multiple times. And if I don't pay attention to my life, if I don't check myself, I'm going to wreck myself. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how every one of us in this room We're all looking for security, a sense of security. We're looking for significance. We want to live a satisfying and meaningful life. But sometimes we make decisions and we have choices that we make in life that wreck those opportunities and imprison us. And that's why I'm reading from Jeremiah 29 this morning. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a a, passage of scripture that's probably very familiar to all of you in this room, it's a very hopeful passage uh, where he talks about how God has a plan and a future for each one of us, but what you may not realize that that scripture that you probably have on a bumper sticker or on a plaque somewhere was actually written to people who had made some very terrible choices and decisions for their life and they were living in slavery. Not only had they made bad decisions and choices, but they'd made the same ones over and over again. God kept talking to them about the consequences of their actions, but they just kept running into that wall over and over and over again. As a result, they ended up becoming slaves in Babylon. This is what Jeremiah said. It's hopeful words. He says, even though I know that you're going through this hard time in your life, he says, I know I have plans for you. It may in effect feel like you don't have any plans, no dreams for your life. You may feel like slaves, but God says to them, Jeremiah is writing to these people living in captivity, I have plans for you, and they are plans for good. I have good things in mind for you. Not for disaster, to give you a future, and to give you a hope. Now now God had told him to write this letter. He was living in Jerusalem, and he was writing to people who were living in exile in Babylon, And he wrote this letter to them to encourage them that your captivity is going to come to an end, he says. God is going to come and rescue you. And he says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you will look for me wholeheartedly, I mean, look for him with with your whole heart, your whole being, hold nothing back. The promise is you will find me. I tell you, if you came to church this morning and that's all you heard, it would be a good message. If you pray, I will listen. And if you turn to me with your heart, I, you will find me. That's so true. I will be found by you, says the Lord, 
And I will end the thing that's chaining you down. I will bring to an end to your captivity, to your slavery. And I'll restore your life and your fortunes. So this morning, I want to talk about the best way to to wreck God's dream for your life, okay? See, everyone in this room, we're all the same in the sense that God loves every one of us just the same. God doesn't love you more than God loves you. God loves us all the same. And God loves you not because of your character, but because of who God is. It's God's love is a free gift, free gift. But we make these decisions that wreck that future. You may this morning feel like, I don't have a future. I'm going to tell you, you have a future. God has plans for your life, no matter how young or old you are. So let me tell you then how to completely wreck it. I'm going to tell you this morning in five easy lessons how to become a miserable, empty, lost human being. Okay? I had about 20. I'm just going to give you five. The first is, the first is do not accept responsibility for your life. Be a victim. When you get knocked down, stay down. When something goes wrong in your life, point your finger at everyone else but yourself and blame them for what's happened to you. The truth is, if you want life to happen for you, you got to make life happen for you. Life and opportunities are not just going to show up at your door if you don't make it happen. And I remember the first time I learned this important lesson, I, it was when I was waking up in a very new bed I'd never slept in before. I woke up the next morning, and I realized that morning that my mother was not going to make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to take to school. And I woke up that morning and I knew that my mom wasn't going to try to help me find my shoes that I'd left somewhere in the house so I would not be late for school. I was going to have to find my own shoes. And I knew my mother was not going to push me out the door to make sure that I got the class on time. And I knew at that moment, it was a hard reality. I remember laying in bed that morning thinking to myself, I'm responsible for myself. I'm not living at home anymore. And if I don't take responsibility for myself, I'm not going to graduate and get that degree that I want. The second thing you do in your life to make yourself miserable that I do is compare yourself to other people. You want to be miserable? Compare yourself to someone that has more. Because there's always someone that has more. I mean, don't you want to just drive up to the person who's driving the car that says, my kid is an honor student, and just punch him in the face? (laughs) Really? Really? Yeah. No? You know? You know, here's here's, here's the way it works. So, you know, you go buy, you you, you buy your first house, and you're feeling, man, this is a, this is my first house. This is my, I got the American dream, you know? It's a humble house, and you're so proud of it. You got the nice yard. You know, you got your own house. And, and it's beautiful, and you feel really good about it. But let me tell you, how I feel not so good about it. Go to Homerama. 
And suddenly, why is it, why is it that, the, what happened? That house that you thought was so great, you know? <laughs> the house you thought was so great was, was, is now just a shack, and all your furniture's crap. <laughs> you know, compare yourself to other people, and you'll be miserable because you will not appreciate what you've been given, and you'll want more, and you'll make bad decisions. That's why people end up living in houses they can't afford and driving cars they can't afford either. And that's why people can't live God's dream for their life. Why? Because they're chained to a mortgage. And they're chained to a car payment. And they're chained to a debt that they incurred paying for the big wedding that they didn't need to have. Good way to be miserable. Uh, the third thing is, is develop, uh, develop a spirit of entitlement. Life owes me. You owe me. You don't have to earn God's love, but everything else in this world, if you want to achieve anything in life, you've got, you got to earn it, you've got to work for it, you've got to achieve it. But we completely undermine uh, our children because we give every kid that shows up a trophy just for showing up. And it's good to recognize the kid for showing up. But what happens is when we have a spirit of entitlement and we think that everybody owes me something, it takes the idea of achievement and effort out of everything. We think then when we graduate from college, hey, just because I graduated, I ought to be able to get the job that that guy spent 20 years trying to get. And what ends up happening is, is we do it to our kids. Because we never let them fail. We never let them face their consequences of their actions. I told my son the other day, I said, if you go to jail, you can call me, but I'm not coming. I'm not bailing you out. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. You don't let them fail. They develop a, spirit, a sense of entitlement. They never grow to become the people they can become because they never learn from their failures what it means to pick themselves up and to learn and to grow. And what happens is when you don't take responsibility, what happens when you compare yourself to other people, what happens when you live with a spirit of entitlement, you become a victim who is resentful and ungrateful and miserable. And so the fourth one then is, is we ignore the big questions. We don't ask the big questions in our life. You know, why am I here? What did God want to do with me? What is my purpose? You know, you can go your whole life and never ask those hard questions and just do what the world tells you. Do what the culture tells you. And never live your own life. Let me tell you something. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going upstream. Because the rest of the world's going downstream. You want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to live a countercultural life. And the American dream is not the same. It's a good dream, but it's not the same as the kingdom of God. And you're just going to get pulled into the American dream. And it'll become a nightmare for you because the American dream is a dream of acquisition and possessions where you spend your whole life filling, making your barn bigger and bigger and putting more and more stuff inside a house you can't afford. So that when you die, they give away all your stuff. And they put you in a little bitty box. That was harsh. <laughs> but it's true. Don't ask the important questions. You'll live somebody else's life. And the final thing then, and this is the one 
This is the one that I think is the one that wrecks everybody in our culture. Because we in our culture have inherited a script from our culture and from our families that says that life is about having things. Now, nobody in this room says, yeah, life is better if you have more stuff. Nobody would say that's true, but we don't, we live differently, okay? We say, oh, nobody believes that having a house full of stuff and a bigger, better house, having more and more and more, nobody believes that'll make you happy, but we sure live like it does. You know, the alcoholic is the last one to admit he has a problem, and so is the stuffaholic, the last one to admit that we have a problem. We suffer from stuffaholism. Just made that up. <laughs> the fifth one is then, is if you want to wreck God's dream for your life, this one is pernicious and evil because it will make you a slave. Get on the wrong side of money. You know what I mean by that? What I mean is where you become a slave to money instead of money becoming a servant to you. Money is only a tool. It has no power unless we give it power. And only has to do with the choices that we make. And I, I, I've learned, I have made some really, really bad mistakes in this area of my life that's taken me a long time to dig out of. Then after, because it was impulsive, because I thought I wanted something. And I'm supposed to know better. I mean, I'm a preacher, right? Preachers never have problems with money. Ooh, that was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> if you only knew. And, uh, but then turn around and do it all over again. What I've learned the hard way is that when it comes to the subject of money, I've learned that it always wants to be more than money. It wants to position itself in our life to where it takes our life away from us. Money is not evil. It is the root of all evil. It's written in Scripture. But the problem is when I stand up here and say this issue, immediately we're so taught by our culture that money is not a spiritual issue. You know why money wants you to believe that? so you'll be its slave. Do you know why money wants you to be suspicious when I'm talking about it right now? Because you think I'm about to ask you to give something? I'm not going to ask you to give anything. You know why? Do you know why it makes you suspicious? So it'll keep you a slave. You know why money doesn't want you to talk about it? So it can keep you a slave. That's why. You know, we say you can't talk about money, you can't talk about religion, you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about sex. What else is there to talk about? That's everything. This is what um, Ben Franklin said. Ben Franklin said that money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. You don't have to be in debt to have a problem with this. You can have a lot and have a problem with this. But you get on the wrong side of it, and it'll make you a slave. In fact, Jesus calls, he uses the phrase mammon. It's an Aramaic term, and he uses this phrase three different times in his teachings. He says you can't be 
a servant of God and be a servant of man, but at the same time she'll hate one and love the other. It's an Aramaic word that basically means riches. And he says, it basically says, you don't need God trust in riches. And this is the lie. Mammon tells us that it can insulate us from life's problems and that money is the answer to every situation. It teaches that if you had more money, people would listen to you and your relationship problems would go away and life would be sweet. Boy, if, if that were true, well, if that is true, then why are there so many miserable, wealthy people? It wants you to think, if you just had more money, I could really start helping people and be generous. The reality is if you're poor and stingy and you get more money, you're just going to be rich and stingy. All that money does is make you more of what you already are. Generous people who are poor are generous when they're rich. Stingy people when they're poor are stingy when they're rich. You see, mammon in the Bible, it, it's more than just money. It actually has a spirit attached to it. There's a spirit of mammon, a false god, almost a demonic thing in Scripture about this, that attaches itself to money and wants to steal your life away from you so that you serve it. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. Jesus says, be on your guard, watch out. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he says this, be on guard and watch out because it's not like the other things in life that are easy to identify because greed is so hard to detect. And then he tells a story about a guy who, who had, God had a plan for this guy's life. You know what he did? He ended up building bigger and bigger barns and made his whole life about collecting stuff and putting it in his barns. I call it the biggest Building bigger barn syndrome. He just kept building bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger barns and putting his stuff in it. And at the end of his life, he dies. And he says, well, this is my life. It's about it. I'll have security if I have this big barn full of stuff. What happens? He dies, and they give away all the stuff. And Jesus said, that's foolish. Foolish. Because when you die, everything that you've earned, you'll find out was never yours anyway because they're going to give it away to other people. And he says, if you want to be rich, be rich toward God, meaning invest in stuff that lasts. Invest in stuff that you will carry on to you to eternity. What carries on to eternity with you? What you do for others. When you stand before God, God's going to look at you and say, oh, you had a really nice house full of things. No, God's going to look at you and say, what did you do for people? Did you serve me? And the reality is you can spend your whole life going after all this stuff and never really have the life and get trapped and never live the future God has for you, an exciting future. Right now, we can't do what we want to do. Most of us can't do what we want to do in our life because we have no financial margin. We're trapped. What would you do if you weren't limited by your life because you have no financial margin? We just repositioned our church financially by getting out of debt. What if every one of us in this room repositioned ourselves financially so we could respond to God's call? Wow. Freedom sound pretty good. So Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all things and it will give you everything you need. Put God first and God will take care of everything else. But it's funny, isn't it, that we will trust God with our salvation, but we won't trust God with our money. He says, seek me with your whole heart and I will restore your fortune. Whole heart. 
And then he says, sell your possessions. Give to those in need. And this will store up treasure for you. No one can serve two masters. So here, here are four ways not to be a dummy, okay? Four ways to avoid a collision. This is what I call the antidote to what we're talking about, about how not to. You could apply it to any of the five, particularly to the one. And the first is to say, you know, I, and this is an effort, I have a purpose. I'm not an accident. God put me on this earth for a reason and for a purpose. I'm here to do something with my life. And everybody has a different purpose. The second is, I have enough. I don't need any more to have a good life. I have what I need. It's really an issue of management. What do I do with what I've been given? Instead of looking for more, do better with what you have. In fact, Jesus said, those who have little and are faithful little, Jesus will add to it and give more. Faithful over little, receive more. Manage what you have. You already have enough for the You have enough right now within you to have happiness right where you are. You don't need anything from anybody to be happy. You already have it. Don't look outside yourself. Look within. Third thing is, I have choices. I have power. I am not a victim. I may be in this spot right now, but I'm going to get out of this hole. I have choices. And you know, I have a purpose, I have enough, I have choices, and I can do something about it because I have help. The God above who said to the exiles, I have plans for you, a future for you, a promise for you. I hear those words. Do you hear those words? And if you will seek me wholeheartedly, with your whole heart, you will find me. And I will set you free to live the life that God has in mind for you. And restore your fortunes, your inheritance, and give you your life.